Praise the Lord. Well, how many glad they're in church? Amen. Amen. If you're watching them by live stream, welcome to our service this morning. And um, wherever you're from or whatever country, <laughs> I get the breakdown sheets, and it's, it's pretty amazing the day and hour we live in. Standing here in Key West, I'm pre I can preach around the world. <laughs> I used to get on an airplane to do all that. Praise the Lord. Still do once in a while. Amen. I... I feel by the Spirit of the Lord, I, I was in prayer this week, as I usually am, and looking towards, looking forward to the next service. I'm always looking forward to the next thing God wants to do. And um, I've been pastoring in Key West. We started this church about 33 years ago in, uh, in Key West and, and just pastoring. And over the years, I can't even count in times and seasons that God has. If you look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it talks about he's the one that, that brings in times and seasons. And what I got in this season, as a matter of fact, the title of my message this morning is Design for Victory. What I sensed uh, this next season that we're coming into uh, in, in a big way is kind of a pushback on things that the devil has been trying to establish. And there's a collision uh, that's happening even right now uh, in our society uh, between uh, the forces of God when he has come in and the forces of evil. Of course, as church people, how many know he has handed us the victory through Christ? So it isn't much of a battle as far as struggles and so on and so forth. I want to touch on those things this morning and, and, and get into it. Uh, but he, let me open, let me open my, my introduction this morning is, is going to be like this. It says, whenever the Lord leads us into a conflict. How many has ever been in a conflict? How many are going through a conflict right now? Amen. Couple of, okay, praise the Lord. These uh, uh, do a conflict is because He's already equipped us to win. Uh, one thing I learned over serving the Lord all these years is that He doesn't lose. We do if we don't follow His word, but He doesn't lose. He He's He's always has a victory. Here's the thing: is God's victory may not be, always look like what we expect it to be. Amen. So praise the Lord. So anyway, uh, but it, understand something. When God brings us into a conflict, he equips us to win. And it's never punishment for us, but always punishment for the devil. God is not punishing us by bringing us through conflict. Isn't it amazing? I, I, I share this all the time. We gave our hearts to the Lord. We're, I'm assuming that we're, we're talking, I'm talking to Christians, saved people. We believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, but we're still here. You would think it would be better for God if he just kind of take us out of here, take us home. But we're still here. So there's a reason why God does everything. I figure our, we have a purpose still here. Now, last week I was sharing about Joshua and Caleb. I talked about Joshua and Caleb, and it was, it was an eye-opener for me. I'm 71 years old. I'll be 72 this year. But anyway, I'm 71 years old. I've been, I've been uh, saved since I've been in my... In my early 30s and so on and so forth. So uh, uh, 40 years, of, maybe almost 50 years of being saved and, and, and serving the Lord. Serving the Lord here in Key, just in Key West for the past 33 years. This May will be 33 years. So, so I'm looking back at my life. I never realized, because back in the day, I shared this with some of my leaders. I says, we used to say, we're the Joshua generation. Now, what does that mean? Basically, that's a catchphrase, meaning that we're moving on into the promises of God. We're not stuck in a wilderness someplace where we follow the same mountain for the year after year after year after year until we finally die off. 
Because to some people, that's what church is. It's just, we're just going to go around the same mountain. God's protecting us. He's supplying for us. We got manna every morning. So if God's taking care of us, we're, I guess we're good. How many know that the promised land was not that? Matter of fact, the promised land, which was an advancement as far as God was concerned, was not getting manna dropped down to him every day from heaven, but actually tilling the ground and growing. He wanted to partner with that process. Well, I, I told last the Sunday, well, what I got thinking about is, uh, you know, I started looking stuff up, researching. How old was Joshua? Because he spent the last next 40 years, you remember the 12 spies, and he spent, he was one that had a good report, him and Caleb. Caleb was a leader of, of Judea, of his tribe. Joshua was a leader of Ephraim. So that's, that's where they came from. So, of course, Joshua, he's going to be a warlike. I mean, Ephraim was a warlike tribe, so he was going to be warlike. He, yeah, we can conquer this thing. But Caleb was diff different. And I realized that Joshua was someplace, they don't know exactly how old, but basically between 69 and 79 years old. By the time he got to the promise, and I realized that his, his responsibility was to teach an entire generation that wasn't even circumcised. These are Hebrews that weren't even circumcised. They even, they even cast aside the circumcision, which was part of the law, part of the command of God, uh, uh, the covenant of Abraham, uh, passed on down. And, they even did, and so he had that task. But his job was to, to take on and begin to show the way to the younger Generation, And that's the younger generation that went in and took the promised land and finally established it. So I look at it this way. I said, yeah, we used to shout and praise, we're the Joshua generation because we were younger. <laughs> now I'm saying, I'm older. I'm still a Joshua generation. Matter of fact, I want to be like Caleb. Give him my own mountain. You know, the one where the giant is there, Arbaugh? Give me that. I want that mountain. Haven't I deserved? Haven't I served Moses? And he said, the strength has not gone on my body. My eyesight has not failed. He said, it's still there. Now, he had to be older than Joshua. Joshua was, okay, old timer, go get it. And he did. <laughs> I, I love these stories. Anyway, praise the Lord. That's not what I'm teaching on today, by the way. But the design, we are designed for victory. How many know if we, have a, if we are designed, that means there's a designer, you cannot have a design without having a designer. So when you say, I've been designed for this, or this is how I am, or this someplace there's a designer. Amen. We didn't design ourselves. We were all born. Just, so anyway, so, but we have been designed not to lose. We have been designed for victory. If you want to turn in your Bible, I'm going to go, go to several scriptures this morning, but I want to lay this foundation first before I go on uh, to talk on what I'm talking about with uh, uh, Jehoshaphat. But John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the second part of that verse says this. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God, who was the Son of God? Jesus, right? Jesus was the Son of God. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. Now, the word manifest was he was a spirit, but when they're manifest, now the spirit becomes physical. We're talking about a physical being. We're not talking about a spirit. Not a cloud, not a wisp, not a whimper, not a, not a wind. We're talking about a physical being. Jesus was physical, and he is still t physical today. Yes. His body was a resurrection, not a recreation. Amen? Amen? It was a resurrection. So he's still there. He still has the scars in his hands, the holes in his side. He still has all that. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Amen? Okay, so, so, so that's our Savior. He said, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
In other words, John boils it down. We can take all the things that Jesus was, all the things that he's done for us, but here's the bottom line. He was manifest. He became human form, sacrificed himself to destroy the works of the devil. That's what 1 John says. He was manifest, come in the flesh, destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy uh, in the Greek, this is out of the Greek, means to loosen, to break up, to destroy, to dissolve, to melt, to pull off. The word work, of course, means toil, uh, 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 occupation, a deed, a labor, work. So basically, the devil works hard at sowing his corruption, but the thing is, is we don't, we, we come from a, 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 well, let me say it this way. Sin forfeited the power to defeat the devil. First part of that verse talks about the sin of man, talks about Satan from sinning from the beginning, and then he says the manifestation comes as Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Basically, the works of the devil was to get us to sin, get us in sin. So basically, but sin forfeited the power to defeat the devil. That's exactly what it does. It forfeits that, that, that right. Jesus came to the cross and gave us back that right. To binding, loosing, and all the other things that we do is a symbol of spiritual warfare. But this is what I want to make. This is my point I want to make. If you get nothing out of this sermon, listen to this. Because your positioning in what Jesus has given us is very, very important. Because here's what happened. How many would agree with me that Jesus gave us a victory? There's a spiritual victory there that bleeds over into our physical life, correct? Okay, so Jesus gave us the victory. We had the victory. You can't regress from victory because Jesus already paid the price. He's not going to unpay for it. Just like our healing and so on. He's not going to unpay for it. So basically, we had the victory. So if we have the victory right now, today, sitting where we're sitting, in this, then basically we approach every problem, every conflict, Every demonic stronghold, not from a place of weakness, but from a place of strength, or let me put it, say it this way, a place of victory. Amen. We, uh, I, I was sharing with, um, I shared on Tuesday night, I think I shared on, on last night with our heart from Bowman. I says, you know, some things have to be said out loud. Speak them. If you're all the time saying, well, I got this problem, I got that problem, then what happened is the devil's distracting you from the truth. Because the truth is, regardless of what you're going through today, and some of you are going through problems or whatever, regardless of that, Christ still has placed you to respond to that particular circumstances from a place of victory. We are going from victory, not looking for a victory. (laughs) Not just a play on words. Uh, But if we if to get that perspective of who we are makes all the difference in the world. Amen? Some have, have hung around with irritating Christians. Irritating Christians are the ones that always seem to win when you're going through struggles. You know who I'm talking about. It seems like they breeze through life and you're, you've got all kinds of mountain of struggles. So this isn't fair. Okay, well, well the fact is, is regardless of whatever you're going through or not going through, also, God also deals with different things as maturity levels change. Amen? How many would agree that the Bible talks about bringing us to a maturity? Amen. Well, mature people can handle more things than immature people. And God knows this. 
He knows if, he, if, if this Satan comes in such a force that he could take some, some baby Christians right out of the kingdom. Amen? I don't want to get into that. Uh, this one is, that's a whole different, different subject. But uh, uh, let me go, go over some of the things that Jesus said. Because here's what I want to do. I want to approach spiritual warfare this morning, not in the binding, loosing sense that we used to shout at the call of the devil names and stuff like that. I want, to, I want to take a different approach to this to same topic because I believe this is the season. When I asked the Lord, I said, what about spiritual warfare in this day and hour? He said, it's resistance. He didn't say it's binding loose, and he said, he said, he specifically told me, he said, we're coming into a season of resistance. Amen. And, and this is when he showed me, he says, listen, you've got the victory. He says, you're coming from a position and a perspective of victory. Understand that with every conflict, everything that tries to take that away from you, understand that you're coming from victory. Amen. God has made you the winner already. Amen. Now we have to impose it here on the earth. Again, let me go back to that question. Why are we still here? Because God sees fit, and he can do what he wants. Psalms 115.3 is my, my favorite scripture. He's God, and he does what he pleases. <laughs> but the fact is, is, he desires to work through us. Could God do everything by himself? Absolutely. One word from him, and the devil's snuffed out, because the devil is not an equal. The devil's a fallen angel, which is a created being like we are. Okay, so basically, God is, there's no, no, there's no match. But God has desired to work through his man, through us, and, and, and co-labor with us in these endeavors. Could he just remove them from Egypt and just translate them into the promised land? Absolutely. Did he do that? No. They had to go through a wilderness experience. Why? Because that wilderness experience was teaching them how to rely and how to trust in God, even when things looked bad. Amen? It's easy to trust God when everything's going your way, isn't it? And you thank him, and you get up, and you praise him every morning, you clap, and you say, oh, life is so good, and the birds are chirping, and everything is going on. And then all of a sudden, the next day, uh, Monday morning, <laughs> all hell seems to break loose. The washing machine breaks. The car's on the fritz. This is going on. Oh, what are we going to do? And, 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 and then, then you get, get to work and find out, because the budget cuts are reducing your salary, and it's all kind of, and it's like, oh, where's my God when I need him? Because what happens is we, we look at the circumstances, and with our mind on that, it looks like we're losing. But if you go back to the early church, you will find out that spiritual warfare to them had a different meaning. Matter of fact, I'll get some of the quotes of Paul. But you know one of the things they asked for, Peter, was his biggest prayers was, Lord, give us, grant your servants boldness. Why would they have to ask to pray for boldness? Why don't you just be bold? Because basically, she said, give us boldness so we can say the things that really tick some people off that want to kill us. The message they had and the idea, the revelation they had in Christ meant so much to them, it meant more than life itself. Amen? And they said, just give us the boldness so we don't, our flesh doesn't get weak and, and, we, and we drop off. That doesn't sound like a, a, a cakewalk. That doesn't sound like something that was easy. That was, some, that was a determination. And that, would, that prayer led to a determination. All right, let me get to some of the things that make you happier. Hallelujah. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, verse 19. This is, you know some of these scriptures are familiar scriptures. Jesus himself says, I know this for a fact because in my Bible it's written in red. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Uh, I'm sorry, I went down one. Luke, that's, that's Luke 24, 49. I'll get to that in a minute. Go back to Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, Jesus said this, Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And listen to this, nothing by any means shall hurt you. I give you, what do you say? Authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And he said another thing, he said over all the power of the enemy. So the enemy has power. But wait a minute. Let me get now, let me get down to Luke chapter verse 20, uh, 24, verse 49. He tells the disciples, Behold, I send you the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until the, you are endued with power. So in, 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 in 24, uh, I'm sorry, 1019, he's saying you're given authority to come against the power of the enemy. Then he says here in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. Tarry in Jerusalem. That's a command, by the way. That wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. Because what happens comes into Acts chapter 2, where God pours out his spirit upon the city of Jerusalem. And they didn't gather because they were speaking in tongues. I know you've been probably taught that. Uh, but, but they gathered because if you read further before the, uh, the power came, God shook that city. There was a thundering through the city and people saying, what was that? And, they, and it led them to where the upper room was where they were praying. And then the Bible says, as they are praying in tongues, it says everyone heard. It doesn't say it was spoken. It said everyone heard in their own language. So God did an anointing on their ears. But what brought them together, God thundered that place, what he did. He poured out the Holy Spirit, which was what Jesus said, the power. The word that we have, we can take the word of God, and there's authority to the word. How many agree? Yeah. We have authority to this word. This word gives, is authority. But the power comes to an encounter. That wait in Jerusalem for me. Jesus was on the ascension. He's on our way home. He said, you wait in Jerusalem. He's tarrying in Jerusalem. What are we tarrying for? We already, Jesus already came. He rose from the dead. We got the salvation, everything. Let's just go tell people. No, he says, tarry, don't leave Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem. Now, Pentecost means 50. So there's 50, day, 50 days from Passover to, to, to Pentecost was actually 50 days. Jesus, we know, showed himself for 40 days uh, showed himself as resurrected. That means it was a 10-day prayer meeting that never left Jerusalem. And for 10 days, 120 gathered in this upper room and began to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, not knowing what they're praying for, not knowing what to expect, thinking about the words that Jesus told them, looking for Jesus. Now Jesus is absent. Now they're waiting for something that the Father's supposed to do and supposed to pour out something on us. We don't know what, but we're going to keep praying and we're going to do what Jesus said. When all doubts, just be obedient. <laughs> when you're doubting everything else, just be obedient. God will never leave your, lead you wrong. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they became powerful. The power of God. But it came through an encounter. The authority was already on the Word. Speak the word. There's the authority. But God wants us to have both. He wants us to have the authority of the word, to use authority of the word, uh, our yes to the commission, what God calls the great commission. Not a suggestion, by the way, because it's commission. It's an order. 
But when we, when we say yes to the commission, that's our authority. But when we have in him for an encounter, that's our power. I love it when we come into church, like we had a service this morning, and, and, and God just shows up, and we can lean into the presence because that's where your power comes from. Now, you all got the authority. You're here on the authority of the word. Forsake not the assembling together yourselves, and so much more you see the day approaching, right? Hebrews 10. We got that. So here we, are in the, here we are gathered in this church service as an authority of God, but God's saying, now there's one more thing. Have the encounter with me. Now you have the authority and the power. Amen. It behooves me to understand why some people want the authority without the power. I want all what God gives me. I don't know about you, but even to get through this life we live here, we need God. Our country needs God. Can I hear an Amen. The world needs God. We didn't stop. For 2,000 years, this commission's been going forth. We haven't stopped. We're still here. Keep on going, going stronger. I just pray I can live long enough <laughs> and keep my strength long enough in my old age to keep on doing what he's called me to do. Because I see the things that God wants me to do are not for a young man. Or, uh, they're for a young man, not for an old man. <laughs> and I'm becoming the old man. Well, here, but here, uh, I'm still pretty young. How many has, has that problem? They're, they're mentally younger than their physically bodies are able to carry. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Let me just flip you just for a minute to Psalms, chapter 20, to Psalms 23, the 23rd Psalm. What does God say he's going to do? Now, I'm still on this thing of conflict and how he gives us the power. Terry in Jerusalem, the encounter, we have the power of God. Okay, then he says in Psalms 23, verse 5, I'll just take the verse 5. He says, you pair, uh, David is making an announcement to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is God doing? He's showing you off. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Understand this, New Testament church, there's nobody in here that's your enemy, and there's nobody out there that's your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Understand that. So when I'm talking about enemies, I'm not talking about the person you don't like, your next door neighbor's giving you a fit or whatever. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the real enemies, the principalities, the powers that Paul talks about. And God prepares us a table. What does that table signify? It signifies fun. It really does. You look at every Jewish festival. When they get a table ready, they get a table ready. And it's a good Passover? Passover isn't a solemn, I'm sorry. No, no, it's rejoicing. It is celebration. Yes. We've been delivered. We're free. Yes. Hanukkah, name all the holly. I mean, there's, there's a couple where there's fasting involved. But, there's, but basically, the table, he's talking to a Jew. He's saying, I'm preparing a table for you. Ha, ah, Mazeltov. Yeah, ta-da. And again, we say ta-da. Yeah, this is great. He said, and I'm going to do it in the presence of your enemies. I want your enemies to see. I want the enemies, the principality, the power. To, I want them to see what their God has supplied for you. Because you see, you're not out of sight, but you are out of reach. Amen. Enemy can't touch you. You're on my table. He can see you, but he can't touch you. Get that image. <laughs> I like it. It just blesses me right down to my argyles. Man, I tell you, it just 
Yes, he prepared a table. That means we're not lacking anything. That means God wants, himself wants to fellowship with us. I didn't learn that in religion. I had to learn that through a walk with him. But he really wanted a fellowship with me. Not just reading the scriptures. That's what gets us started. That's so we understand his personality. And of course, it's also our authority. But the power comes from the encounter. When we come into the presence of God and we can sense his anointing and his, his presence, there's a power that rises within our soul. You can't explain it. You can't explain it. It's not a power for evil to, to destroy everything that we don't like. It's not that kind of a power. But it is a strength and it's an endurance. It, it, I, I don't have enough English words to describe what it feels like a lot of times in the presence of God. But I love it. So may I tell you what, anytime he wants an encounter, he's got it. Amen? And where did I learn that? I learned that in church. <laughs> I didn't learn that in some back bedroom, somebody. I learned that in church. God gave me the encounter. My first encounter was in the back bedroom of my home up in Michigan. But then what happens is to figure out what I had and to learn what I just experienced, I had to go to church. And then it was the church people that helped me and nursed me along and, then, and finally eventually understand I had a call. Where did I have a call to be a minister? From church. Amen. I was a union electrician. I used to build powerhouses. That was my trade. That was my craft. I liked it. Amen? Amen. I made the light come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, me and about 3,000 other men on the same job. But I mean, we just, but, you know, this is what we used to do. But praise the Lord. And then all of a sudden... Yeah, that's right. Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Light, she says, sister, you said, light, come on. Make it a light, come on. Ephesians chapter 6, this is another one you, from your scriptures. I'm going to get to them. I'm going to get there. Praise the Lord. Paul says this statement in, verse chap, in, in, in um, chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestle means to struggle. This is what it means. I looked it up in the Greek, and guess what it means? It means wrestle. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. For we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's people that we see. But against principalities and against powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. That tells me a couple of things. That means Satan has a horde of authorities and powers that are controlling the flesh and blood. What he's Paul is being so cautious on is don't get focused on the flesh and blood that you see. Amen? Here's the thing. We have a tendency as a church, well, somebody comes in, they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't talk like us, and we, we have a tendency to dismiss them. And, and, and somebody asked me a while ago, it says, well, how, Pastor, how do you keep from doing that when people are just some people are just repulsive? I says, we used to be those repulsive people. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> still are in some circles but they're the wrong circles praise the Lord <laughs> but I said no I said here's what you do we need to look at people in a different light we need to look at people for what God's potential that he's placed in them and not what we see so we can't let people's attitudes and so on be a stumbling block but we look past that this is the realm we live in Get down to what the potential that God has. I can look across this room and I can tell you right now, God has put potential here in your life. And as soon as you awaken to that potential, it's going to be a whole new day for you. Amen? That's, a, that's an easy prophecy. I got mountains of word to prove that. Praise the Lord. We're a new creation. Never before existed. Well, where is that new creation? Let them out. <laughs> Don't keep them locked in the trunk. 
praise the Lord, against principalities, powers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Now, when it says heavenly, it's not talking about the heaven here. It's talking about the third heaven where God is. It's talking about the atmospheres here around this planet. This is where it's been, been placed. So it's also called the heavenlies. He says, take on the whole armor of God. We know that when you've done all this, stand, stand, therefore. You've heard me preach on this lots, lots of times because this is, this is our, our staple. But it also tells me something. Behind every failure is one of these demonic powers. Behind every failure, there's one of these demonic powers, but God has designed us for victory. Amen. It got quiet right there. Praise the Lord. Are you all right? Okay, everybody, cool? Okay, praise the Lord. I'll preach on that idea of the, the breastplate and the veil. Paul lays it all out. I, I can just see as he's looking at a Roman soldier. In our war room, we have a, we have a, a um, period correct uh, armor stuck in there, uh, you know, reproduction of what Paul would have looked at with the blush, breastplate. We have all the parts of the armor in there because this speaks to us. And he said, when you've done all the stand, see, we put on the armor, but what we do when we put on the armor the Romans had a different battle technique where most Europeans had long swords and they would wield them from horseback, they would wield them from distances. The Romans didn't. The Romans had short swords. The short sword put them in a different position where they had to depend on one another. Also, the short sword was quicker to wield. When I say wield, I mean swing them back and forth. Instead of this long sweeping sword, it was a short sword. I heard, recently heard one, one uh, preacher say this one time, this is also good for digging out those fiery darts that get past the shield of faith, that quench every fiery dart, but when it gets past it, you can take that short sword and just pluck that thing right out. What's the sword represent? The Word of God. Sharper and two-edged sword, the Word of God. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I never thought about getting out. Yeah, every once in a while. How many's ever got stuck with a fiery dart? Just saying, you know? Yeah. yeah. Hallelujah. Where'd that come from? <clears throat> Sneak attack. <laughs> foul, foul. <laughs> You're going to pay for that one. But every, behind every failure, we can see one of these spirits or principalities. Here's the thing, and this is what I'm seeing for this new season. I'm seeing that God is saying, don't go after the principalities. That's what Satan wants. But instead, form a resistance and come from your place of victory. What Satan wants to do, he wants to lure you out of the covering so you're exposed. Praise the Lord. Okay, I, I'm going to move on. By the way, if you want to know about the armor, was it in the Bible? Yes, Paul was quoting Isaiah 59, 17, where it talks about the breastplate, the helmet of salvation, so on and so forth, if you want that. Now, here's what happens is we have a tendency to examine what is possible based on our past failures. When we should be examined as possible with what God says. Don't we do that? Well, it's been my experience. We don't care about your experience. You don't even care about my experiences. Because the experiences can change. Amen? So we can't trust our experiences, even what we've gone through or haven't gone through. This is a new day. This is a new hour. God is on the move. Uh, uh, quote a song, but th th there it is. Amen? Praise the Lord. When we put our hand to the plow, what did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 48, 10. It says, curse is he who does not work to the Lord, uh, works to the Lord deceitfully. That means idle or slack. So we're not supposed to be idle or slack in the things of God. Amen? So that keeps us in trouble. Proverbs uh, 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
It's not about standing still. It's about moving forward. And God's direction takes a place in our life. Praise the Lord. Hmm. Amen? Hallelujah. I grew up with this idea, and you probably have too. It says some battles, how many, when we talk about battles, when we're talking about struggles in life, some battles are ours and some battles are God's. And this is the quote that I used to get all the time. The wisdom in us is telling the difference. How many has ever heard that before? Okay. So some battles are ours, but some battles belong to the Lord. Now here's what we have gathered out of that, at least I have anyway, uh, that's wrong. <clears throat> now, true, some battles are the Lord's and some battles are ours. That's not the wrong part. That's absolutely correct. And I agree with that. But we've somehow interpreted when it's the Lord's battle, we sit back and do nothing. <clears throat> and I dare for anybody to find that scripturally. <laughs> Let me show you where we get it from. Anyway, I want, I want, is, it, is this okay? I got about 12 minutes to get this done, so praise the Lord. We get, can we do it? All right. I'll talk fast, you listen fast. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Some battles are the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 20, this is the one we talk about Jehoshaphat. And he said, listen to all of Judah and its inhabitants for Jerusalem. To you, King Jehoshaphat, the word Jehoshaphat, by the way, is, is interesting. The word Jehoshaphat means the Lord is judge. <laughs> so I guess we'll listen. But the fact is, is, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not dismay for this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Are you ready? That's what it says. That's verse, uh, 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 that's verse um, 15. Verse 16 says, Tomorrow go out to them surely. He said they will come, uh, but talks about the valley. But he says this. He said in verse 17, I want, let me jump to verse 17. He says you will not need to fight in this battle, but here's the next word he uses. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat could have said, okay, well, this battle is the Lord. Let's go back home. Everybody enjoy. We'll have a feast when it's all over, and we'll just go out and collect our spoils. That's not what he said. He said, position yourself. Let me give you a clue. Even when the battles that we fight belong to the Lord, there's a positioning we must take. There's a positioning. This positioning led Jehoshaphat to the command that he commanded his armies stay in the rear and he commanded his praisers go out front and go across the battlefield and as the praise was going forth and it was echoing and, and, and the entire nation was praising God, as they are praising God going forth, what did they come across? They come across dead bodies Three armies that was going to annihilate Judah was all of a sudden laying dead across the battlefield. It took them three days to collect all the spoils of that battle. But it wasn't like, okay, this is God's battle, so I'm just going to sit this one out and see what, how this, this, God's going to, going to work it all out. Not at all. There's a positioning that we must take even for the battles that belong to God. God commands it that way. Amen. Are you here? I have gone through, in my own experience, I've gone through battles, and God is saying, I've got this one. And what I have done in response to that, picking up the lesson from Jehoshaphat, and I was saying, I remember one, one particular catastrophe that hit my family. 
And I said, I said I'm going to respond to this. I said, Here's a, this is God's fight. I mean, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing for me to do. It's out of my reach. What do I do? And I said, I, said, I got a hold of some church people. I said, get the praisers. Meet me over at the church. I said, we're going to praise the Lord. I said, I don't care if it's all night. I said, but we're going to praise. And we're going to see with the things that God has given us, we're going to see the enemy destroyed in this area. And I did. We got into prayers, warfare praise. We did all kinds of praise. We did hallelujah praise. We did worshiping. God, with, God you are so great. I'm going to reinforce myself not to believe anything else. Because everything else is a lie compared to what God has done. And he healed us. He healed my family. He healed everything in this thing. We stood there. So I know what I'm talking about. Amen? Then you have those battles. You know those battles. Uh, it's, oh, well, let me give you this scripture. Here's another scripture that, that Jehoshaphat um, the, that said to the people in verse 20. It says, believe the Lord and your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. That's that famous scripture we get there. But, you know, some battles are like this. Some battles are they're ambush. How many have ever been ambushed by the enemy? Well, the ambush comes up, and all of a sudden, there's nothing you've done. You haven't done anything wrong. You're going to church. You've paid your tithe. You've done everything else. You're doing everything you know to do. You're praying God. You're spending time with God. All of a sudden, this ambush comes up. Happened to Elijah. Remember that? Ambush comes up, his servant comes out one morning, he looks up, and holy smokes, we got this Syrian army completely surrounding us. We're dead, for sure. And he goes in, he wakes up the prophet, the prophet comes out, see, looks over and looks around, this, and he makes one prayer, one short prayer. Lord, let him see what I see. Open his eyes so he can see what's really there. Wait a minute, I see the Syrian army. I see chariots. I was ambushed. I didn't do anything. I didn't entice them. I wasn't on their property. I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything right. I'm prophesying the word of the Lord. I'm doing I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm doing all these things. But yet, here's the, amb- the ambush. And all he did was say, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And when he, what he saw was a force that was surrounding the natural force they saw greater than the force the greater force was from heaven. God had sent his heavenly host, and they were there all night long just sitting there. So as the Syrian army were sitting there quieting their bridles, not to wake up the prophet until the next morning so they could take him in daylight, and they're quieting their horses and quieting everything. So when the prophet woke up, he saw this massive Syrian army with chariots, and, 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 and then all of a sudden they heard the clinking of the bridles and the shields and the swords, and God said, now open up his eyes. This is what's really going on. And all he looks, chariots of fire all around the horizon, circled, had completely encompassed the enemy. Why? Because God's prophets and God's people do not come from a place of defeat, even when ambushed. They still come from a place of strength and a place of victory. Why? Because Elijah was designed to be victorious in everything he said. So what are they sitting there for? Just kill them all. Yeah. He says, strike them with blindness. And he led them all the way back to Israel. <laughs> and the king says to him, he says, well, should we kill them? No, yeah, why kill them? They're ours. He said, Lord, return their sight. And as when, they, when the Syrian army got their sight back, they were surrounded <laughs> by the Israeli army. He said, well, what should we do with them? Send them home. Feed them and send them home. Completely different response than what we would want. Because our response out of fear will say, kill anything that's threatening me. That's a response out of fear. 
but a response out of faith, nah, feed them. Give them some food. Praise the Lord. Fellowship next Sunday. <laughs> so if any of the Syrian army shows up, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> feed them and send them home. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. So there's an ambushment. My last one. I got five minutes. Praise the Lord. My last one. This isn't the last, last one. This is the last one I got time for is today. But how about those battles that you just seem to walk into? Minding your own business. Minding your own business, doing exactly what you're supposed to do. Again, paying their tithe, going to church, praying, doing everything else. And all of a sudden, you just walk in and you hear something. Hmm. That's not right. Hmm. Lord, what shall I do about this? Yeah, don't hear nothing. Okay? But it goes on, it goes on, it goes on. And there's a taunting and a taunting and a lying about the Lord, your, your God that you serve. And in a slandering tone. And in 1 Samuel verse 7, chapter 17, we see David was doing what was David doing there in the battlefield? He wasn't fighting. He wasn't even in the army. He wasn't even part. It wasn't even his battle. He had older brothers for that. He, Jesse gave him the lunch mule, I call it. Load up the mule, take the lunch to your brothers who are fighting on the battlefield. They're standing up against the Philistines. And here's this one great big tall dude sitting there and mocking the Israelites, mocking their God, mocking who they are. And David says, and looks around and says, what? Nobody's going to do anything? And David says, to the, let me take him on. Well, his older brother, he started getting in a squabble. Here's the thing about family squabbles. His older brother didn't like him there. He said, go on home, you little kid, you punk, go on home. Take care of dead sheep, you know. We're out here, we're warriors, you know, type of thing. And so David didn't spend time with Eliab because basically he was arguing with him. A lot of times we'll get distracted by getting involved with the wrong battle. That's the wrong battle. The battle's the enemies out there. So he went all the way to the king. He says, King, he says, why don't you let me have a shot at that big old loud mouth? He said, it'll be a different story. Now, God didn't lead him there for a fight. It wasn't a fault led by the Holy Spirit to believe him, lead him there. He just stumbled into it like we stumble into things. Just showed up. I'm doing something else. All of a sudden, who's this loudmouth? And who, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? Now, all of a sudden, it became a national, a, a national interest to David. David was a shepherd. Mm, but he had to prophet's oil all over him that day. You remember that day? And he was, had to prophesy he was going to be the next king. And so he says, he goes into Saul. He says, Saul, he says, let me have a shot at him. You're a kid. What makes you think you could do that? He said, listen. He said, I was watching my father's sheep. He said, and a bear came up. He said, and I killed the bear. He said, a lion came up. I grabbed him by the beard and killed him single-handedly. I can take on a lion. I can take on the bear. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be one to the same. When he said uncircumcised, he said, he don't have a covenant. I do. The difference is not size. The difference is not military training. I'm not depending on my military training, David's saying, because I don't have any. But I am depending on my covenant with God. So I'm going to take a realm that I'm not normally involved in, and from this realm and from this posture of victory... We're going to win. I'm not going to go in there to see what I can do. I'm not going to go in there and call him a lion or a bear and try to take him on the same with the same methods. He didn't even use the same method. 
He said, I'm going to go in there and take out the enemy and free our nation because they want to enslave us. The difference, the real biblical difference between a slave and a free person is a free person has a future. A slave does not. Do you realize when I talked about Israel in Egypt, they had all the things, they had a roof over their head, they had meals on the table, they had a job. All the things we search today, they had that in Egypt. How come they were slaves? Because they had no future. Their babies were being killed and dumped in the Nile by the Pharaoh because he was afraid that the population was going to grow bigger than him. And God symbolized that as slavery. They had, they had their own property called the land of Goshen. D- uh, Joseph negotiated that with the other Pharaoh. And it was their land. It was in Egypt. But it wasn't God's land. It wasn't his promise. So as long as you're there and you're not allowed to leave there to go worship your God, you're a slave. And this is what the New Testament is trying to teach us. When we're subject to our sin, it becomes a form of slavery. But when Jesus Christ comes and breaks that slavery, he sets us free. I love the two reactions here. You all know the story. Two two reactions. The Philistines said to David, I like this. David, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks? In other words, he was really putting David down. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Oh, that was a mistake. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll make you flesh. To the, I'll, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the fields. I usually say the buzzards, because that's the only flesh of the vulture. Anyway, but he said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the buzzards, is how I usually say it in my own, my own tongue. David responds, are you ready for this? Because he's showing us that you come from a position of victory, not of defeat. Didn't even listen to what this big old dummy said. He said this. He said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take your head from you. In this day, I will give your carcass of the camp of the Philistines. He took it one more better. I mean, even the Philistines. He said, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does save with his sword and spear. He said, for the battle is the Lord's. Now, he said the battle is the Lord's. That's the catchphrase. Well, this is God's battle. No, David stumbled into it. David made that battle the Lord's. (laughs) Because <laughs> if he was standing in front of that giant where he was standing, the Lord would have had nothing to do with this battle. So David stumbles in there. He brings the Lord with him into this battle. And I could just hear the Lord say, go for it, boy. This is, this, this is what you've been anointed to do. Come from a place of victory. He already has a victory. So the devil's going to tell you what he's going to do to you. But then you can go back with the word of God and see what you're going to do to him. We're going to bind your principalities and your rules and powers of darkness. We're going to openly expose your deceit to people and show them a better life that they have in Christ. That's what we're going to do. And then we're going to feed your carcass to the buzzer. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, David didn't have a sword, he didn't have a shield, and he didn't have a tent. All the things the Bible mentions. He takes the head of Goliath when Goliath is down on the ground. He takes Goliath's sword, he pulls up the head, and he chops off the head, holds the head up, and all of Israel goes nuts. And they chase the Philistines all the way back to Azekah. I was, I was there in Israel. It's kind of cool. It's a long way to chase 
anyway, from where David's standing. Amen? And then he takes the head, he takes the armor to his tent. David didn't have a tent. What's the Bible talking about? The tent was the tabernacle. We know later on because he picks up the sword from the priest. He takes the so the armor, he takes the tent, that's God's house. He puts that into God's house. He takes his head, blood eyeballs, gut running down his arm, and he goes to Jerusalem. Anybody see anything wrong with that picture? <laughs> Jerusalem was not the capital of Israel until David's reign. Jerusalem was one of the cities that Joshua never overthrew because it was full of Jebusites. <sighs> Mount Moriah, land of Salem, Jerusalem, Jebusites, Jerusalem. <laughs> Big walls. Never, Joshua could never conquer the city, so it just kind of remained there. Twelve years from there, David would become king, and he would conquer that city. It would be called the city of David, which is Jerusalem even today. But when he's holding that head up, listen, this is, how we, this is coming from a place of victory. I just beat this guy. You're next. Hallelujah. You're next. We're coming for you next. Now, it was 12 years went by when he became king. Guess what? And guess how he took the city of Jerusalem? He went up through the tunnels, through the water, water supply, and got on the inside of the gates, and he turned it into the city of David because that was the place that Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, and God stopped him. And this is where God said, I will sacrifice my son in that same place. Right there. Amen. Jerusalem. So that's what it meant. And from there on, David became the lineage of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes out of the lineage of David. And passed on generations, another, another preaching. Are you here? So there's just three scenarios. I'm going to give you some more probably next week. But there's, there's three scenarios. There's a, battles that belong to the Lord, but we've got to position ourselves. Even in those battles, don't ever give up the positioning. God wants you to position yourself. So take the posture of somebody who's winning, not somebody who's losing. Amen. Come on, we go to church sometimes and you look like death warmed over. <laughs> Only some of you don't look warmed over. <laughs> hey, check that man's pulse. No, I mean, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. You know, we come in and, okay, pastor's going to preach another sermon. Hallelujah. Let's all praise the Lord. Our enthusiasm went down to our socks someplace. <laughs> Amen? So let me challenge you this morning. Let's, I'm out of time, by the way. Let's challenge you this morning. Let's come from an area of victory. If you start believing this, start believing what the Word says about you, you'll, be, you'll be, we'll all be different. Amen. I'm not preaching down on you by all means. I'm talking to myself as well. There's times I come in, and go, oh, man. But, you know, God is still on the throne. Amen. But it seems like lately it's more I keep reminding myself, No. We win this battle too. No, we win. And now I feel, I'm feeling more like Caleb. Give me the mountain of Arbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. Hallelujah. Yeah. Age is just a number. Praise the Lord. I got a scale at home that I step on. This gives you the, your body fat content. I weigh myself every day. I keep myself. And I look at that, and, it, and, and all mine are green, by the way. It's good. But then it comes up with a metabolic age. So according to my scale at home, I'm not 71. I'm 66. I'm a young strapping kid at 66, and I tell you what, let's take on some more giants. <laughs> you can buy one of them scales on Amazon if you want to make yourself feel better. 
<laughs> Whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for the word going forth. And I thank you, Lord, as we're speaking and digesting this word this week, we thank you, Father God, because is, no matter how the battle goes, we know we're going to position ourselves. I pray, Lord, for the wisdom and understanding of the season that we live in so each one that heard me today can position himself for, for victory because we are not going to fight for victory. We are coming from a position of victory that Jesus has already given us. And now we're going to manifest it the way Jesus manifested in the flesh to, take, to, to destroy the works of the devil. Then that is our commission also because our commission is found in Christ and our commission is to destroy the works of the devil. And Lord, we want to partner with you this morning in the name of Jesus and watch people get set free in the name of Jesus. Church should be a a place, thank you, hallelujah. Church should be a place of enjoyment. This should be a place we can come in and we can laugh. This is a place we can learn. This is a place where we can pray for one another. Uh, Not just get prayed for, but pray for one another. With that said, whenever I close out the live stream, our leadership is here of any need whatsoever. I usually go in the back and greet people, especially visitors and stuff. You want to talk to me or whatever. My leadership will be here. Just come on down and they'll pray for you. And we're seeing miracles. We're seeing God healings and different things that are happening here, right here in Key West. Who would ever believe it? <laughs> Let me tell you something. It, be in it for the long haul. There are no short jogs in the kingdom of God. It's all for the long haul. But understand this. Wherever you are in the kingdom of God, however new you are or old you are, God is bringing you into a level of maturity. If you're an older guy like me or an older gal like, like we are, my wife and myself, then let me encourage you. We have a responsibility to teach this next generation. I really truly believe that. We have a generation. We're starting with the preschool. <laughs> We've been started with the preschool. Now the our preschool that we first started with are now in college. And Matt, there was a, a, a mom that came here with her child and there's like, she, it was now the grandchildren are showing up. Hallelujah. But praise the Lord. We're, so, <laughs> we're teaching, getting the chance. To, well, I came here when I was a child. My mom brought me here and became a grandchild. I said, wow, praise the Lord. You know, give me my own mountain. I want to take that. I can still do it. We can take that same mountain. Let's take it. It doesn't matter how big and how strong it looks because God is for us. Understand something right now without doing another thing, without proving anything else to God, right now you are standing in victory. Move from there. What's your next move? I don't know anybody who stands in victory ever wants to go to defeat. Praise the Lord. I'm not done, but I got to stop. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, let your word germinate in the hearts of these people this morning. Anyone that needs a healing, anyone that needs prayer, in Jesus' name, we confess it now. Miracle take place now in the name of Jesus. And that includes anybody watching this by live stream. Lord, the thousands of people out there, Father God, that may need a miracle in Jesus' name. Today is your day. Claim it. Stand on it. Jesus paid the price for it. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.